Shut up and sit down. for the short notice uh, I was bored I'm super bored <laughs> I couldn't I can't even actually define how bored I am so um yeah we're here doing this we're doing it yep that's what's going to happen anyways um boo asked a question um and I uh put it off I wanted to do it this week she asked it last week she's not in the chat room so I hope she joins us um I wanted to say that as I was preparing for the podcast, I got my my snacks and stuff. Lady Holder posted a link in the bitch chat and ruined me. I, I I read as much as I could. I was still reading when the podcast music started. Why couldn't she have given me that earlier when I was super bored? No, no, of course she didn't. I'm just saying. I could be a little bitter about it. I don't know. Did you click on it? I did click on it. Um, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm fine with bitterness. That seems the appropriate response. <laughs> it's just mean. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> she has a mean streak. I mean, this isn't news. She does. This, is, she does. this isn't news. I said new. It is news. We know that we know this. We know, and it bit us. It bit us because we shouldn't have looked. We yeah. I I clicked. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have clicked. It's my own fault. I should be ashamed. It's like when somebody I'm tells not. you not to Google, right? It's like you don't don't do it. They'll bite you. Are you sure, Sybil? I'll I'll share it with you because um. Yeah, I'll share it. Wait um, a minute. They're supposed to be paying attention to the podcast. But don't click on it right now. <laughs> what are you here for? Don't don't read later. <laughs> You're here to pay attention to me and Jilly. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we uh we got we got super distracted in the ten minutes we had between announcing the podcast and well, actually it was more like thirty minutes. But it was cruel. She's cruel. It sucks you right in, like from almost sentence one. You're like, what? <laughs> and you know what? We we talk about a lot. We talk about um, starting in the middle and starting with a bang. And this fic in particular, it's called um, Strong, Stronger, and I just I have to scroll up. Strongest by Green, and it's on um, AO3, and it's a team wolf fic. Um, and it's, uh, it, it opens, it opens with a punch in the face. And I was like, and here I was 
glaring at my podcast ring studio as the podcast music started. I'm like, fuck you. I didn't have enough time. I haven't finished this. Of course, there's no fin. I won't be finishing that, obviously, tonight. Well, maybe maybe I will tonight. Yeah, I, I could probably finish it. Um, but, uh, yeah. It was cruel to give me that link before a podcast started. That That's just all I'm saying. It is, uh, but yeah, it is. It is. It is a very good way to start a fic too. I mean, it the the moment is dynamic and exciting, and you're like, holy shit, and you're just immediately sucked, and that and that's what you want. That's that's what you want as a writer. You want to just suck your audience in from the from the get go. It's like, hey, I came to play. <laughs> so before we get into the topic, I I have I'm gonna post about this in the writer's table, but I wanted to mention something. It's kind of like a challenge for anybody who wants to try to take it up. And that is writer's notes, author notes, are pretty much, not entirely, but they're pretty much a construct of fandom. And they do serve a vital function as it relates to um, your ability to talk about how you're manipulating canon. Because the thing about an author note is it should be reserved for something that you cannot convey in your narrative, which would typically be things that your characters aren't aware of. Like you can't have a character say that they're skipping an episode. That makes no sense. It's a worse kind of fourth wall break. Um, so you have to – a brief author note to explain that kind of thing or to elaborate about a warning or whatever. But – well, like the fandom has started to use, I think, some off not not everyone, but a lot of authors have started to use author notes as kind of a crutch for their writing um, to explain what they're doing and why they're doing it, talk about what's coming up, and ask for ask for plot guidance. I just have to challenge our crew, our peeps, to try to write your next story without author notes, outside of that one little narrow piece where you have to explain something related to something in canon that you're changing, is try not to use them. Try to break yourself of that habit because fandom is really the only place where that kind of thing ever happens. And it's kind of, I think it holds people back because they don't learn how to develop their story. They just explain the things they didn't write. Like, oh, I didn't really convey it, but this is what I meant by such and such. No, no, dude. (laughs) No, just if you can't. I use my author notes based on RT to complain. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, simply use author notes like talk about their cat or all the reasons why they're not writing or why this is late. Eight, there's no story that's ever late. It's when it's done, it's done. Unless you've got, unless you're being paid, but you don't get author notes there either. (laughs) So, just sometimes you get hate mail from your agent. But that's yeah. a different story. If you if you use author notes a lot to explain what's going on in your story or talk about what you've written or communicate with your readers through author notes, um, I would just it's just a, it's just a challenge. To try to grow your craft is to try to not do that. Just try one story where you don't have author notes that are about explaining your story. See how it goes. 
or apologizing. Never apologize. That should be a whole different thing. But never apologize. You don't owe anybody apologies or explanations. But yeah, I, that came to mind because I actually kind of finally noped out of a long story because of author note abuse. I was like, I can't deal anymore. <laughs> I cannot deal with that. <laughs> nope, done. I cannot deal with the I author skip notes. author notes. To be perfectly honest, I skip them. I never read them on fanfiction.net. I avoid them like the plague on fanfiction.net. Um, I rarely read them on um, anywhere else. I skip them on um, RT. So I just I'm I'm not on board. No, I mean. If I if I put some if I put an author note up I it, it's something that I don't feel like I can convey or I'm trying to help the reader out like in stick around I put an author note up at the top that said that Tony Donozo's name was Dominic and that it would be explained in the story why but I put that author note up there because it'd be to me because it's a it, that's a very unique kind of fandom thing where you're changing a character's name and there's not a really good way to explain it. Because you don't just launch into Tony's point of view at the start of the story and have him muse on why he has, he doesn't go by Tony Dinozo. That would be clunky and contrived. So in that case, it was easier just to tell people, set the expectations so they're not confused, and then just tell them to be patient. Um, but I really I debated even doing that much for a long time because I feel like the story should stand on its own. But then I went, well, this is really a unique circumstance. So I went ahead and did that explanation. But but I didn't explain what the reason was. I just said, so you're not confused and you understand. This is where we're starting. You will understand as the story progresses. And that's the kind of what I call a unique, the reason why fandom requires author notes is because you are working with an established canon. And you can create something confusing if you don't give people a heads up. Um, but if you're giving a hundred words at the beginning of every paragraph, every every um, chapter, and uh, 250 words at the end of every one, stop. A, just stop. But B, I, just try to not do it. Stop. Try, <laughs> just one stop. story on Facebook. Try one net, story. Is you're, you're padding your word count. <laughs> Yeah, AO3 leaves that out of the word count. But I've seen stories on fanfiction.net that had 30,000 words of author notes. Yes, I checked. Sue me. <laughs> um, I don't blame you. <laughs> I'm like, this feels like there's more author notes than content. It actually wasn't true. It was, it was a little, little more than double content to author notes. But when I see a story, I don't want to read 30,000 words of author notes. <laughs> It's kind of like being forced to read the index at the back of a book. Yeah. The worst thing, yeah, authors who spoil their own chapter, that is so fucking annoying. Um, but the worst thing is someone who has rambly author notes about their cat and replying <laughs> to reviewers and calling reviewers out by name, and buried in that is some vital piece of information. And you're skipping it because, you know, that's what you're doing with somebody who puts author notes up like that. And then you're confused as fuck two, uh, two chapters later and you scroll down and there's comments where people talking about I'm confused and the author gets pissy because that information was in an author note two chapters ago. Now, I'm not on board with – I would say usually not on board 
<laughs> with bugging authors, but if you're burying vital information in between cat and grandma updates, fuck you, I'm going to say something. <laughs> shit. <laughs> what is that doing in an well, author note anyway? Cat. And I really don't give a shit about your cat. Or your grandma, <laughs> for that matter. Not to be insensitive, but I just don't care. <laughs> Anyway, there we go. Really okay. don't care. So shall we start with the hurting? I kind of I hoped that Boo would be in the chat room, but she's not. I didn't give enough warning, maybe. I don't know. I'm sorry, Boo, that you're not here. Um, Boo Mom asked in, um, she asked on my Ask Me Anything page, which you're always welcome to, to do, to, to go over there and ask a question, because... Um, it gives me um, things to peruse through and pick a topic. So she asked, I had joined Rough Trade in April, but due to having seven funerals in one month, I was only able to post about a thousand words of my story. Recently, I was inspired to work on this story, and I was in tears trying because it brought back memories of that month. What would you do in this situation? Would you try to push through, or would you just start all over to distance yourself? Any thoughts would be appreciated. Condolences on on your losses. Seven funerals in one month is would probably put me yeah. in a slight cold for twenty four hours at the very least. So, um, wow. Uh, I honestly, if I only had a thousand words, and those thousand words were um, a reminder of of that difficult situation, I would dump them. I would keep the idea. I would dump the words and approach it from a different angle. There's something really cathartic about writing. Um, it allows you to um, to explore um, painful situations and experiences, and sometimes it allows you to push aside grief. And, and worry and stress and just so you can focus on something else beyond what's in your personal sphere, <clears throat> which is why I often, um, which is why I write a lot because um, I, I do suffer from a chronic pain condition and, and writing is distracting. It distracts me because um, I don't, um, I do not medicate for pain um, outside of over-the-counter products like a leaf. So when I'm hurting, I have a choice between taking a nap and writing. (laughs) And writing is often the the, the path I take, which is why I'm quite productive, especially in the winter because it hurts a lot in the winter. Winter kicks my ass. Yeah. Winter is hard on the body. Right now it feels like I'm... Right now, I feel like I'm broken. I feel like I'm walking on two broken feet. Right now, there's just so much pain in my feet, and um, they're as healed as they'll ever be. So, but um, that that's the way it feels. It it feels like I'm walking on broken feet. And having broken my foot, <laughs> I am very familiar with that pain. <laughs> I do have a paraffin wax dipper thing. 
um, that's big enough for my feet. And I have done paraffin wax. It's revealing in the moment. It's healing. It's it's relieving in the moment. But after about 30 or 40 minutes, um, it comes back. And that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had um I had two nanos, two Novembers where I lost somebody at the end of the month. Um of November. This past November, I moved in and no- moved early in November. And one of the people that I was really jazzed about being closer to when we moved up here, we'd only be an hour away instead of, what, 12 hours away? Um, they died before I got to see him. And I hadn't seen him in a couple of years because they you know, pretty far away. And we'd been here like, I don't know, it was right towards the end of November, I think, when he died. And it was just out of the blue. He's like only nine years older than I am. And... I didn't write anymore <laughs> on that nano. Um, I didn't talk about it, but that's why I dropped out. Why I stopped posting was because I didn't continue writing in December, really, was because um, I can write in a lot of states. When I'm really sad, I don't write well. Um, or my writing becomes really pedantic. Um, hence, actually, I specifically, um, that was the, that was the uh, office chair thing where I all of a sudden I got a 2,000 word scene about office furniture. And I went, I can't, this isn't working. This is what happens when I'm unhappy, when I'm really sad. And not angry. I can write angry. I can write tired. I can write happy. But when I'm sad, it just, everything kind of goes right. And um, but and then I lost my aunt, I want to say it's two years ago, right like the week of Thanksgiving. And I haven't picked that story back up again either. And but both those stories, because these always these happen late in the month, I had especially one of them, I think I was like 100K in when my aunt died. And um, she was my cl- the aunt I was closest to. She was more like my grandmother. And those stories have been hard to revisit because they do have that um, – That, that feel attached to them of what was going on and why I didn't work on it. And the last thing I wrote on Descendant was, you know, office furniture. Um, and I know why I wrote office furniture. I was unhappy. So I understand. I don't know that I have good advice on that because I, I, I'm, if I was just a thousand words in, I would agree completely with Kira. I would chuck the words. And if I really loved the idea, I would come at it from a different angle. Assuming that's the idea I wanted to work on, I might need a little bit more distance from it than you have already. Um, you've got, you said it was earlier, you said it was April, right? So we're talking not even a year yet. Um, and it might also depend upon what else is going on in my life, you know? Were other things poking at me that were reminding me of that loss in another way that was not allowing me to, I wouldn't need to be poked by my writing too. So I think there's like a lot of variables in it. Um, unrelated to grief um, and I've talked about this before but my second actual nano project was that was the soulmate challenge right 
2014, Matt, now? Yeah, I think so. Here I've got a database. Um, I I had a traumatic brain injury early. Actually, it was before. It was in October. Uh, (laughs) But I was still – actually, I don't really remember writing that month. Uh, I don't remember the actual Let me look. I did. I've got writing. Wait, what year was that? that? It would have been 2004. Um, and four. The thing is, 2004. Yeah. T in 2011. Oh, sorry. 2014. Do you mean 2014? Okay. Yeah. Long decade. So November. November. Yeah. Yeah. Nif- Nano. Um. You did uh, visionary. That was so. That was a soulmate. Yeah, and I knew what story it was, but I think I think the challenge was soulmate. Um. So, so the funny thing about that story is I got. I, I'm not exactly 100 percent sure. I want to say 20 or 30k written on that story, and when I reread it, once I was not quite so concussed because I was writing that story with a pretty severe concussion and what they think was probably a skull fracture, but I read it and I go, this seems familiar, but then I looked at my plot document and I had kind of an epiphany about why it didn't seem familiar. And it's because I changed my plot quite significantly the day I started the challenge. So finding those notes kind of did jog some memory about why this didn't seem familiar was because I replotted the first day of the challenge. And when I revisited my original notes, I was like, oh, okay. And I understood why I had replotted. So now that story, people have asked me if I can come back to that. And the thing is, I don't know if I'll ever revisit it. And the reason is because that the effects of that, the problems that happened that month, that all seems tied up in that November, it's been four years, four years, it's already four years now, And I'm still having medical problems from that brain injury. I still have seizures. I still have, um, I have no sense of smell. I have chronic migraines. Um, That event changed my life. And in some, and in a way, because I don't remember November well, the, that story is inextricably linked (laughs) to the traumatic brain injury, even though they really have no connection to each other. But it's just this weird connection I've made to it in my head and so digging into it feels like – and also I think it felt like a big failure. That nano felt like a big failure to me. So um, I think that revisiting that story sometimes when I look at it and I go back and I read my plot notes and stuff because I still find – I think the world building I put together for that was really interesting. And I like the characters I created and stuff. But it feels like um, like a legacy of when my brain was finally, when my brain was irrevocably changed. In a way, I'm not sure I'm happy with. <laughs> so, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was... Um, I get it. I mean, you've attached a trauma to that story. I mean, a physical yeah. trauma, no less, that altered your day-to-day living. Isn't that mm-hmm. when you lost your, your sense of smell? Yep. That's a, you know, that's like a. 
And I have I have really bad phantom smells sometimes. The phantom smells are actually a uh, attached to the seizure disorder that this brain injury caused. And this when I get to smelling things that aren't there, um, it's a um, an indication that I'm having a seizure because I have focal seizures, not like grand mal seizures. So it's an indication mm-hmm. of having a seizure when I start smelling things that aren't there. And the phantom smells are always bad. They are not good. As long as I suddenly start smelling wildflowers and watermelon, it's it's either a smell something on fire or a chemicals or garbage or just yeah. Why well, couldn't it be watermelon, right? Yeah, right. It's putrid smells. And so every time I get one of those phantom smells, so this is part of my day-to-day life now. And when I get phantom smells now, it's like this sharp reminder that I'm never going to smell anything for the rest of my life that smells good. The only smells I'm ever going to have for the rest of my life are awful ones. And I'm mad. That makes me mad. I, <laughs> what a terrible thing. It makes me mad, thing. too. And I don't, I don't like bringing that into any kind of sharp relief where I really focus on it. And for some reason, because I have attached November of that year, which is when I was fighting with my doctors over something's not right with me, um, and they weren't listening, I've attached, because I was trying to write around all of that, and I've attached all of that to that story. And so when I revisit it, it's like sitting down with this thing I'm really mad about and that it hasn't gone away four years later. So, and then it's changed me for the rest of my life. So I don't know that I will ever finish that story. I I haven't made up my mind about it. I know that I'm not going to push myself to do something that causes me that kind of pain um, and hurts like that. I have, I have written things and done writing that I found ultimately cathartic, but that was very painful going through it. And um, that, that was, I can talk, we can talk more about that later. But some kinds of pain, I think, it's like you know good pain from bad pain. Anybody who's ever been through physical therapy can tell you the difference between good pain and bad pain. Yeah, I'm revisiting that experiences with that. (laughs) (laughs) Revisiting revisiting visionary a lot of times is bad pain. It's like I don't want to be in this headspace for this, you know. So every time I've tried to pick it up, it hasn't gone well for me emotionally. So I don't think I would even make that attempt again until we get what's going on with me. And it has persistently gone on with me since I, you know, hit my head. And, um, until that's under control, until it's not affecting my day-to-day life, until I'm not waking up in the middle of the night gagging on the smell of bleach. Um, when that's not so present in the everyday life, I might consider um, looking at that story again where it doesn't have all this baggage attached to it. And, and that's what I mean by, you know, I think you need to know if those events that were painful for you earlier in the year are still poking you in other ways, you know? Are you still, I mean, I don't know the nature of the relationships with all the people you lost. I mean, if it's somebody in your day-to-day life where every time you do something, you're reminded of that loss, you may not need yet another reminder when you sit down to write. It may not be the time to push through that. Um, But if there's not, like, constant 
stimulus about this loss outside of writing, it you know reapproaching re- the idea could be depending on how you feel about it, a healing thing to do is kind of reshape, get rid of those thousand words and craft something new with that idea. But if you never touch it again, I wouldn't I wouldn't think anything of that. Because there's good pain and there's bad pain. Take it in a nice, non-creepy way. You want to magically hug us all. It has to be better than healing cock, which doesn't work. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with a magical, non-creepy hug. <laughs> yeah, I'm very fine with a magical, non-creepy hug. Um, there, there have been times when I have, when I have written stuff that um, I, I have a lot of writing that I will never share with anybody. Uh, it's very deeply personal writing um, that I use to I use as kind of like therapy. There's a reason why journaling is um, is, is is recommended in psychotherapy because it, is, it can be very cathartic to get these feelings out to um, to explore um, things that upset you in uh, sometimes even in a fictional setting. Um, It can just be – inspiration can sometimes be painful. It can take you places that you don't want to go, and it can um, – but ultimately, I think um, I find writing to be a very healing experience. I wish it would heal my arm. I have a thing. Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, uh, if it healed I my brain, I'd be there. I have a thing, and um, I have to do physical therapy twice a week. I had to skip today because I, I had a migraine that I heavily medicated. Imitrex for the win. Oh, and a lot of caffeine, which is why I'm wired now and also tired at the same time. I've had... Um, eight cups of coffee today and a half a gallon of tea. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I you don't but you don't find caffeine stimulating, right? No, not at all. I can have a whole pot of coffee and go to bed if I'm tired. <laughs> caffeine does not in any remote way keep me up. We figured this out because my doctor said, Okay, you have insomnia, so you have to give up coffee. You have to give up all caffeine. I'm like, okay, we'll we'll try that. Three weeks later, I was still sleeping less than two hours a day, and I had no caffeine. I pee a lot, and have, that's not um, just because she's in her forties, <laughs> right? I have diabetes, and so. Liquid just pretty much through my body. I mean, when, when I say I pee a lot, I have to be, I mean, doing these podcasts, um, two hours, by the time I get finished with a podcast, sometimes I have to pee so bad, I'm like, can I get up? 
should I be getting some of those little pen pads for my podcast just in case? <laughs> well, sometimes you just need to say, folks, I'm going to the bathroom. Adios. Because <laughs> the other night, I was like, I'm afraid to get up. I thought, pee my pants if I get up. I didn't. But I, but it was a serious concern. Um, so yeah, I have diabetes, and so um, one of the one of the main symptoms of diabetes beyond out of control sugar is that you have to pee a lot, and you're also very thirsty. Um, and so um, it goes. I mean, diabetics can be de- can get severely dehydrated because they pee so much. So I have no choice but to drink a lot, and I'm really pleased. That they came out with some studies that said that coffee and tea really isn't all that much different than drinking water. Yes, water would be better for me. And yes, I've had 72 ounces of water along with my coffee and my tea today. And yes, I have peed 200 times. (laughs) She has been to the bathroom. (laughs) Me and my niece. On Saturday, we we came home, and we both had to pee. And she is um, – ba- uh, I have two bathrooms, one upstairs and one down in the man cave. But my husband was up in the kitchen, so he was not down in his man cave. And she didn't want to go down there by herself. She wanted to use the upstairs bathroom, which was closer. And I'm like, look, dude, I am old. I got a pee better worse than you. Take your butt downstairs. <laughs> As I disappeared into the front, to the upstairs bathroom and shut the door. <laughs> because, <laughs> no, <laughs> you're going to conquer that today, kid. And she did. She did. That is some rude shit, ass. Just, that, 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 that's actually worse than a dick. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> she Didn't she post... Water rain sounds, water sounds in the chat the other day. Yeah, but that was like that was, that was supposed to be for soothing. Well, water sounds don't soothe me. They sent me to the bathroom. They put on the soothing sound of the ocean. I'm like, I'm gonna be peeing all night, all <laughs> night long, all night. A lot of people work out painful stuff in their fiction. I mean, that's not a revelation. That's not particularly noteworthy that I mentioned that. I think everybody knows that that people work out their shit in their stories. Sometimes not obviously. And sometimes people work out shit they never share with other people. Um, So when it comes to writing in, in a painful space, I would kind of judges, do you feel like this is helping you or hurting you? Um, maybe you need to write something in between before you make that decision, if you want to work on that project or not. Is take on something small that you can work on and feel your way back into your writing. And then, because if you haven't written in a while, I don't, I don't know if you've written in a while or not, because I don't think it says. I think it just was talking about that one story. But it, sometimes around grief, people, it, it, I would say it's not uncommon for people's writing to stall out. Um, or even just high stress, like writing can just kind of get consumed by life, writing time. Um, 
So if your writing has fallen by the wayside and the first thing you're trying to go back to is this last story you worked on back in, in April, you might want to ease yourself into it. Get back in the groove of writing first before you take on what might be pain, a painful, something painful. Because if that's like adding two stressful things. The daunting task of picking back up the habit of writing and picking up a story that is triggering painful memories. Um, and if that's the case, I would definitely recommend a, a little pause before you. Uh, try something else before you pick up that one story again. I, you know, I have stories that I um, that I have to set aside and come back to and set aside and come back to. And it's not always for for um, reasons connected with the story. Um, sometimes it's uh, stuff that I get that I associate with the work for no mm-hmm. reason beyond my own nature. <laughs> It's just me. It's just me. You've just made a connection, um, and that's the way it is. I yeah, and, and and then I'm kind of stuck with it, and so it's um, it is what it is. And um, but I think with with just a thousand words, I could I could throw away a thousand words and never worry about it again. Um. And approach the idea from a different angle. If I was really, really inspired by the idea, but on the other side of it, um, I'm never short on ideas. So I would probably be tempted if I had other ideas that were just as exciting and just as interesting to set that aside forever. Or maybe to pull concepts out of the original idea and put them somewhere else. Just for my own peace of mind. Yeah. Um, and if if you, I mean, there are some ideas I am attached to and some ideas I'm not attached to. So, I mean... Your level, and also it, all, it depends upon how many ideas, how easy it is for you to come up with workable ideas. If, I mean, I know people who have a really hard time pulling together an idea for a story. Um, so your own, your own craft, your own style, and your attachment to the idea um, plays a lot into it. There's some ideas, some stories I've started working on. I don't know that I could ever just truly commit to abandoning them. I, that would be really difficult. Um, but other stories, we said, are you okay with not ever coming back to that? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I've got other things that are more interesting. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I, don't, I guess it really, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are stories that I'll be like, fuck you, no, what? <laughs> You leave my word babies alone. But then there there are some that I'd be like, yeah, I'm done with that. It's fine. Yeah. Eh, it can go. It, it can just sit there. It's fine. It's been fed and watered enough. I'm good. <laughs> but there's a lot of different but, ways you can try to. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say it sometimes that um, when I'm having a hard time writing something, that I'll just binge read instead. If there's only one idea I want to work on, but I can't work on it for whatever reason, I binge read. There's so if you see me knee deep in Harry Potter on fanfiction.net for a month, it's because I'm avoiding working on something that I'm really inspired by. <laughs> Although I did read this week, I read um, Darkly Loyal. I read um, several of my other Harry Potter projects because I was trying to avoid um, Stargate until I get started on my Nano. Because I knew if I delved into any of my Stargate work, I would start my Nano. I I know myself, and I I can't. Nope. <laughs> I don't have time to plot a new idea for Nano. I've already got that up there. That is how I got Cabbage Patch Babies. Yes, yes. I was binge reading and suddenly I had Cabbage Patch Babies. Uh, sometimes I, I regret nothing. Reading. Sometimes, sometimes I look at my sit down for my writing time and I go, "Today's writing time is going to be devoted to reading," <laughs> because that's just where the day is. <laughs> I, I honestly and milking cows. I read, I read, I read this. Yeah, cows. Um, but I gotta get those cows off the milk, or otherwise I feel like a horrible, horrible human being. Um, right? It's it's really depressing. Jesus. Ugh. I need a moment. Okay. Um, going back to writing after any kind of. Anytime, anytime you're struggling to write um, because of life circumstances, it, it in its way is a kind of is a kind of a block. And the longer it goes on, the worse the block can feel. And approaching your writing something you know is going to hurt may not be the right way to power through that block. Which is why we talk about trying something small, trying something um, a different idea, something that's in a different mood, maybe. Uh, but sometimes, and this is this is my experience, is that sometimes just writing something that is going to hurt can be incredibly healing. Um, I think the writing that I would I would characterize in that way, I don't think I've ever shared with anybody. But I've written a lot of stuff that was just working through shit. It's fiction, you know, sort of <laughs> thinly veiled, but it's fiction, and the characters are all fictitious too. I promise. Um, sort of not really. Mostly. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of mostly. But it is, um, I did better. Honestly, I did better when I was in therapy many decades ago. Um, literally many decades ago. Man, I feel old. Um, actually it was only two, but, um, I did better with writing, with fictionalizing events and writing them as if they happened to somebody else and then writing it and journaling about it. Uh, journaling felt weird to me. I never got into the craft of journaling, but I could take those events and put a fictional slant on them and work through it in the same manner. So um, definitely recommend that as a way to heal if you need to. Uh, I can't say that that's not a painful thing to do, Especially if it's something that is, if it's a, a difficult enough event that your therapist is telling you you need to journal about it, <laughs> it could be a very painful writing process. But it, 
that's the kind of writing that's cathartic. You know, you get to the end, and weirdly, you really work some shit out. But you don't want to share that. You can. I've never have. I never have. But some people I mean, do. I, what I think is that when you get to the end of it, I would. I don't want to share it. I, I'm. That's just. It's really personal. You know. I take it to my. I would take it to my therapist. You know. I'd print it out and take it to her, and then go shred the fuck out of it. Um. But I never show it to anybody else. No, because it does become immensely. Um, personal and it's 100% nope yeah but if you write something that you you know something you might feel comfortable sharing that writing to me already makes me feel naked sometimes like when I'm posting sometimes I feel like there's a little bit too much people might see a little bit too much there if there are, it's, but I'm used, I've gotten used to it there's, but there's naked and then there's naked <laughs> You know? Uh, <laughs> well, there's naked and there's naked. Yeah, I don't want to be naked. I don't want to be naked. I just... That's just too much. It's just too much. Yeah, I can could, I could explain this one. When I was... Let's see. Um, now, folks, I've totally dealt with this shit, so I'm fine with it now. Uh, but it's something that I would never approach in writing fictionally and from a fictional perspective I don't think um because I feel like I kind of it's so heavily attached to the writing I did to deal with it but I was I was in foster care when I was 8 for about a year and then I was put up for adoption um and that obviously fell through because I went back to my biological mother but it was kind of a weird time I say that um weird being a nebulous term. Um, and the hardest part, weirdly enough, was being separated from my siblings. Because my siblings and I are very close in age. There's about a year, year between us. And the oldest three. Then there's the middle three and the younger three, and we're all very far apart in age. But my older siblings were very close in age. And being separated from them for a year was actually harder than being separated from my parents. Um, And knowing that, that if the adoptions went through, that I might never see them again until I was an adult, um, they wouldn't even give us each other's addresses for a while. So it was a very strange yeah. time for me. Yeah, it was awful. But it was a very strange time for me. And so it was one of the things, I mean, I was eight, which is like old enough to really remember everything, but young enough to kind of not really understand everything. And so it was one of those events that kind of drove me into therapy when I was in my 20s, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um and it was one of the events that my therapist wanted me to journal about, and I couldn't do it. I mean, it just felt so weird to be talking to journaling about something that had happened, you know, 20 years prior. So I started writing stories about kids in foster homes. Um, I don't think I would – it was it was so good for me. It was very painful, but it was so good for me. And sometimes those stories took a really dark turn, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they were very hopeful. But it was – very good for me to do that at that time of my life. But I cannot imagine a circumstance now where I would write a main character living in a foster home, assuming I was writing a, you know, a kid's story. Um, because that is 
that kind of that kind of character would be inextricably attached to all this writing that I've never shown anybody but a therapist, you know. So mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes writing, be, you know, writing, suffering when you're writing. For me, it, there are times when that is um, the best possible thing I could have done. I don't think that that I'd have been in therapies for for the short for that issue for a short amount of time as I was, if I hadn't done the stories. I think the stories were instrumental in the healing factor in that for me. No matter how painful it was, I think they were very instrumental in dealing with all of the nuance of how I felt about that whole situation, and didn't know how to express. Even as an adult, didn't know how to express. So it can be. Your psyche can throw stuff up when you're writing fiction that you didn't know you needed to get out that can be very difficult to do when you're writing journaling. At least that was my experience. If there were things I wasn't getting in touch with when I was trying to consciously um, write about those experiences, it just wasn't working. But write fiction, and I was like, whoa, where did all that anger come from? I was like, huh, okay. Um but that's very personal writing. And if if you're somebody who is writing, I'm not talking specifically to Boo, but anybody, if you're specifically writing, you don't it's uncomfortable the idea of writing something that you don't share with people. What I just everything I just suggested, forget it. <laughs> because this is deeply personal writing that would be for you. And only you. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I had a friend in school who um, who kept a journal and did a lot of free association writing. And in the midst of free association writing, she realized that she had been molested by her grandfather. She was writing out a story about him and relating the details of her childish memory. She was four or five years old and looked at it as an adult and realized that her grandfather had sexually molested her. She had known this story. This was not something, this wasn't a new memory. But when she wrote it down, she realized what it was. The details didn't change. But seeing it, seeing it written brought home what it was. And he was dead, and so there was no, there, uh, there, um, there would be no closure for that. Um, but she talked to her sister and come to find out he'd done it to all of them. Jesus. Um, all three of her sisters and her mother. When her mother was a child. That's right. You know, if somebody did that to me when I was little, he he would not have been anywhere near my daughters. Uh, yeah, no, no kidding. But so, if but, it you know, comes up when you're free when you're doing something that is not thinking about it, and free writing is, um, it's a very interesting experience. It's not one I particularly care. I prefer to let that stuff come up when I'm writing fiction than than and free writing can yeah. be fiction. 
And free riding can also be psychologically damaging, so be careful with that. (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, you can you can fuck yourself up riding if you're trying if you're just free associating with your own memories, Um, and um, that's something that if you're uh, having issues of stress and anxiety, you'd want to do in a therapeutic setting. I don't know. I, I, we talked a little bit about some of this before, but I can't be the only writer who was kind of frozen up after 9/11, who struggled to write at that time of unrest. Um, I was so anxious. So it, it was I, terrible. I, but I threw myself into writing. I turned off the I was, TV. I, I didn't look at. The, I, did, I didn't look at anything. I just. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. I fa- I I did I turned the TV off, but I found I I just dove into books and games and stuff and found ways to distract myself that had nothing to do with the real world or um or writing. I I felt at the time I called it writer's block, but I think it was really like because I do get very um it's not uncommon for me because writing I've done a lot of what I would call therapeutic writing, like what I just talked about. It's not uncommon. I mean, I've kind of trained my brain to let my issues come up when I'm writing, which may be unfortunate because it means that it's not uncommon for weird shit to get thrown up. And I was like, oh, where'd that come from? And sometimes I backtrack, I take it out, and I go, okay, that that got me, to, that went to a place that I wasn't expecting. Um, and then I just go, let's mind the plot and Let's not go there. Um, and I didn't. I didn't want that happening around that time. I didn't want my brain throwing stuff up. Um, I was doing a lot of professional to... writing during that time, and so it was um, just throwing myself into deadlines and and not um, But I think in a lot of ways, doing that also kind of burned me out. There's an emotional bism in writing. Mm-hmm. I think this has happened to most writers. Has it happened to you? Which is that you make yourself cry when you write sometimes. Uh, sometimes I write just to make myself cry. Well, I've never done that because I don't like crying. <laughs> <laughs> it it happens. Well, I don't I like think most, crying, but sometimes I feel better after I cry. <laughs> you know, and I know I know that I know that consciously, but I so I such uh I, I hate crying <laughs> so much that I even will get resentful over things in real life that move me to tears. I'm like, what the fuck? So I I, I have issues from but it is Writing hurts sometimes, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it's a very good thing because, you know, it's good to cry sometimes. It's good to um, let those emotions out. And writing is a safe way to get your emotions, like, 
just churn right through. You can churn through the whole spectrum. You know, you sit down to 50,000 words, and you've had all the feels, every one of them. They put those emotion charts up. You look, I've been there, been there, been there, been there, been there. Check, 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 check. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it's such a relief, but it doesn't come without the cost of going through it. That's Things that are cathartic, they have a price to them, and that's the, the, the journey to get to that place can sometimes be painful. But like I said, it's not necessarily bad. And only you can know if what you're experiencing is good or, or bad. Is this a good thing that's helping you process your emotions? Um, is it a bad thing? Have you just made it out to be writing in general, not that story, but have you made writing in general again, out to be bigger than it is? Do you need to sit down with something small and just break through that wall? I can't really think about much else about writing hurts. I just know that sometimes it does. Sometimes it's like... um... But writing is also uh, writing can make you happy. And other people's writing can make you sad and make you cry and make you laugh. And uh, I was reading Dr. Lowell, like I said today, and laughed myself sick over the over the staff meeting. <laughs> Which I did not mean for it to be Funny. It wasn't plotted to be funny, but when I came time to write it, it was just <sighs> I never I never write I don't know about you, but I never write to be intentionally funny. When I do, it's never funny. Funny all no, no. accidental. And and so you it's a happy accident. Yeah, you come to the end of them and you went, Wow, that was really amusing. I didn't mean for that to happen, but I'm never sad that it does. Um, I can't think of any time where my writing has come out funny, or not my writing, but the, the scene has come out amusing, where I, I, I didn't like it. Because, it, like I said, it's never something I do on purpose, um, try to be funny. It, it just doesn't work for me. But the unintentional thing, that does happen. And... Um, I wrote. I wrote that. Um, I had plotted. It, it wasn't like that scene. There's a scene in Imperfect in Derek um, and Tony's story, where Tony's involved. Tony's relating to Derek about a convenience store robbery he was involved in that, that kind of took a turn for the absurd. Now that scene went um, exactly the way, pretty much exactly the way I plotted it. I knew that what my plot was is that Tony was going to kind of, part of his healing process was getting his sense of humor back. And it wasn't that it was intended to be a funny scene, but it was intended to be absurd. And Tony has an appreciation for the absurd. And when I got done with that scene, it was a lot more amusing than I thought it would be. Um, So, 
I really enjoy those experiences, those highs, whether it's happy or funny or or um, crying or sad. Um, whatever that, wherever I go in that stories that are emotional peaks of some kind, I really, I really like that experience, even if sometimes I'm not sure when I sit down that I'm actually wanting to open myself up that way. I still do, and I never regret it. Sometimes my personal sarcasm. Okay. All of my snarky personal sarcasm ends up in my character. Because <laughs> I am a sarcastic bitch. And you I like are snarky. People. <laughs> and I like sarcastic people. And I like... Oh, Roddy's my favorite. Roddy's my unicorn. They're all my unicorns. Rodney, Rodney is the snarky. Well, it's so in character for Rodney to be snarky that he is a delight to just cut right. loose with. Some characters you have to be careful about the level of snark because it may not be, if it takes has too much of an edge, it may not really be in character. Um, but some characters, it is so much fun to let that sarcasm, you know, that sarcasm thing go. And Rodney, even John, it's John, John is a little bit more dry where Rodney's a little bit more caustic. Um, mm-hmm. But they both have it. So Stargate Stargate would be like, you know, a feeding ground for snark and sarcasm, which is great. Fabulous. My favorite snarky character is actually Marissa Tomei's character in My Cousin Vinny. She is very good with the sarcasm. And my favorite part was where she's standing on that uh, city, that little town street. He looks up at her and says, you're sticking out like a sore thumb. And she looks over her sunglasses at him and says, yeah, and you blend. You, you blend. Yeah. You, <laughs> I was oh, like, you blend. girl, I'm in love. I'm in love right now. Marry me. I was in. I was 100% in. <clears throat> her biological clock. And what's really funny is that you could rewrite my cousin Vinny, Dick Rodney, in her place. And it would work. Well, complete the bottom clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. My cousin or my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married. <laughs> and my biological clock. As she stamping her foot. My biological clock is ticking. <laughs> but his response, amazing. Their timing and chemistry in that movie is, is stunning. It is just perfect. stunning. You know, now I'm about to go watch My Cousin Vinny after this podcast now. I mean, I I have My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> this is, I keep, you know, I'm like, I don't know why I keep wondering if I have it. Because I have it. Like six different times. <laughs> I have it on My- more than I own it on more than one streaming service. Uh, <laughs> I own I own it on Vudu. I have it on Amazon. I have it on iTunes. It's like I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, can't just buy it on this. I must not have it. I don't see it on my iPad. I'll just I'll buy it. <laughs> Plus, I have it on <laughs> Blu-ray, so it's kind of like, okay, 
my husband, if you ever want him to laugh, you just got to look at him and be real serious and say, seven bushes. And he will bust out laughing. He'll, he can't help himself. He thinks that's the funniest part of that whole movie. I was drinking. <laughs> I was Dem drinking bushes. when you said them bushes. Well, he's doing that cross. He's doing that um, cross examination of that that guy with the dirty screens. It's like <laughs> that's them What's it over there? Them bushes. <laughs> I'm through with this guy. But my favorite is, is when he says "use." But he says "utes." Utes. The utes. The two utes. The two what? The two utes. The two what? Oh, excuse me. The two youths. <laughs> <laughs> the two youths. And the only good night sleep he gets is in prison. <laughs> yes. So oh, don't leave me in there. I slept great. It was. <laughs> <sighs> Somebody asked me about that if I went in, how I did writing, how I went into writing adaptable. I guess that question means that I go into adaptable intending it to be funny. Um, actually, no. Um, I had a feeling it would come out amusing, but I was sometimes when I'm trying to explore absurd circumstances, my expectation is they're going to be amusing. I didn't think it would be as funny as it as it came out. Um, especially since it was sort of a condensed version of a much bigger plot that wouldn't have been all that funny. So, um, but sometimes I'm just in the mood to explore something, you know, somebody dealing, because I feel like it's an underexplored angle in these paranormal shows is these these extreme circumstances are just, it's like pushing people to an absurd limit, to an absurd place, and there's nobody stepping back and going, this is ridiculous. And that's what I wanted to explore was, was from John's point of view, like, what the fuck? Like, kind of like, what now? <laughs> what now? Because that's what canon in that show felt. was like, oh, what now? It's like everything was just going to be boom, boom, boom. Like there was no end in sight. Him being married to a tree, I did pants that kind of that little bit in. Um, Claudia being turned. I I was kind of inspired by Claudia being a tree, but the way that that whole thing came out in the story was different of how I intended it. So um, the whole planting in Australia, that all was just kind of, that, that bit, those bits were pants in. A lot of the stuff around the tree. Because... I was inspired by a story of, of um, Myra Turtles, where Claudia is a tree, and she, well, she's like the she's like the guardian of the nematon or something. I guess she is the spirit of the nematon. I don't remember exactly how that went, but I was I was I was um, inspired by that. But I didn't want to like be too close to her idea, and so I kind of had a vague idea of what I was going to do, and then I changed my vague idea completely when I got there. Um, so yeah, so that, sometimes I do that, I change things like on the fly, and which can, 
you know, cause me problems later, but in a story that short, it's usually pretty safe for me to be kind of crazy. Yes, there was that uh, a little crazy. There was that willow tree that kept hugging John. Um, all that shit with the trees and the huggings and the hugging, that all was added in. Because I figured, well, if Claudia is a tree, the trees might be more semi-sentient in Beacon Hills because of the influence of the Nematon. And what if, what if they, like, think John needs a hug all the time? <laughs> trees, anytime he's alone, the tree hugs him. But this one willow tree was getting a little bit handsy. And so Claudia said, <laughs> no. He couldn't be around that willow anymore. <laughs> that was more of an ex- exploration of the absurd. Uh, I thought it would be amusing. It came out a lot funnier than I expected. I never really go into something um, trying to be funny because I don't think I do comedy well. So I don't try. So if it comes out funny, it's not on purpose. It's never plotted. And the only line I really thought about in that staff meeting was the very last one where Dumbledore said he hoped that Ron's interest in Jenny petered out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only line in the whole scene that I was like, I thought about it, <laughs> like how to end it. I, I I stopped and went, okay, what can wrap this up? <laughs> this absurd thing that just happened in the staff room. <laughs> well, yeah, that would do it. But the thing is, Doctor Lowell is is um, has a lot of heavy emotion in it, and a lot of dark themes, and there's a lot of death, and so you know. It needs to be lightened up a little bit. And really, the elves were for the comic relief. That was my, my choice. I, I meant to make Dobby and, and Wiki kind of nuts. Um, and it would let them do weird things like some people in volcanoes and shit and, and the Nundu Preserve. And it was supposed to be like the comedy part, you know, just to kind of lighten the load. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> The volcano. Well, actually, you know, it, it didn't come across. Uh, it could have come across cracky, but mm-hmm. it, it it didn't. It was funny, but part of the reason it was funny is because I think that it could easily have gone that way, which is like they kind of were picking up. I would. I guess some bloodthirstiness through their bond to Harry and um, they're getting a lot of freedom to probably act on a lot of anger they have towards Death Eaters as well plus eventually it would get tiring it's like I don't want to kill I'm just there's so many of them can I just feed them to another <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, eventually you have to figure out how to streamline that shit right? It's like there's so many <laughs> So it seems like you're going to well, that's kind of absurd. Like, but is it absurd? It it might seem that way on the surface, but if you had to kill a bunch of people, wouldn't you want to find a way to do it efficiently? <laughs> and even me just asking that question sounds cracky, but 
um, that's the whole premise of the the story is a lot of people needed a killing, right? So. Some people just need a good killing. Repeatedly. <laughs> did Did you ever read? Well, I've always and I've always wondered about this. Did you, did you ever read "Welcome to Temptation" by Jennifer Cruzy? It, it doesn't Does sound familiar. It's the story mm-hmm. that starts off with them, these two ladies who are filming a porno driving into this town called Temptation, where there is a water tower that's an unfortunate shape. The town elders decided to paint this very fleshy shade of paint, peach. Does this sound mm-hmm. familiar? Mm-mm. Okay, so that's where the story starts. But there's this scene later in the story where um, there's a dead body. And the thing is, everybody, all these different groups or people think that they killed this person. And he was like, I don't know, like, I don't remember exactly what the events were, but he's like dropped off a cliff and run over by a car and stabbed or something, and he had a heart attack. And so there's all these people trying to, trying to like, deal with this, you know, everybody's come in contact with this dead body at one point. And when they come in contact with him, they think that they're the ones that killed him. So... <laughs> It was this point where the the story was entertaining. It was very lighthearted in a lot of ways until you get to this point with this dead body, and then it was just hysterical. I laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed as everybody kept thinking that they killed this guy and moving his corpse around that was already dead. And then the sheriff, like I think, it's, I think it's the sheriff goes to confront people, and like everybody confesses to killing this guy, and he wasn't murdered; he had a heart attack or something. I wrote this <laughs> one time ago. <laughs> it's just this. It's just it's the whole thing is so absurd, and it was done so well. And I've always wondered, like, did she intend that to be that funny, or did it just kind of organically happen, where she had this idea about you know, it being like the, you know, the part of the plot device of her climax is that everybody thinks they're guilty of murder um, or at least manslaughter and that really nobody is. I mean, I didn't know if that was, if, if she had intended it to come out funny or not, but if it did, if it did, if she intended it to be that funny, she's like a comic genius. If it was unintentional, I find that's the way my writing goes is that sometimes I think I'm just exploring something and I don't even know that it's all that funny until people tell me that they laugh their ass off. And I'm like, really? Oh, okay. Well, all right. But it's pretty brilliant. It's pretty brilliant, that story. I I, I do recommend it. As, like I said, I read this a while ago. I don't recall if there's been anything. I mean, there's, there's people moving around a dead body thinking they've killed it. So there's, it's not, for all that it's fairly funny, it's not light fair, but... See if I can find a link to the book. I'll just stick it in the chat room in case anybody's interested in it. Now that you've given away the whole plot, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, not even. Not even. <laughs> Did you miss the part about the sisters? I think they're sisters. Um, coming into town to film a porno? <laughs> well, we the smut parts, you guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was Jennifer. Yeah, yes. And apparently, I didn't even know that she did. She did. She did a series, but yeah, it's apparently a series. So I didn't know there was ever a sequel to that book. There you go. Why is Amazon telling you to smile on your link? Huh? Oh, it's because Amazon. Amazon, It's not. It's um, Amazon. It's Amazon's charity charity um, program. Is if you shop through Smile.Amazon.com and you pick the charity you want to support, any eligible product, which it will tell you which products are eligible, which for me is quite a lot. goes to the charity of your choice. Some percentage of your purchase goes to the charity of your choice. And I think that my charity, they've donated $105 million to charity through this program. And 300 and some odd dollars of my purchases have gone to charity. And one of the charities you can pick is the Organization for Transformative Works, which is the um, organization that runs the AO3 and pays for all of the servers and the whatnot, because so, they are a nonprofit. So you can support this, AO3 for your Amazon purchases, but you have to go and set it up. This summary is amazing, because they don't sure mention it was a porno. Sophie Dempsey wants to help her sister film a video and then get out of Temptation, Ohio. Mayor Finn Tucker wants to play pool with the police chief and keep things peaceful. But when Sophie and Finn meet, they both get more than they want. Gossip, blackmail, adultery, murder, vehicular abuse of a corpse, and a slightly perverse but excellent sex, all hell breaks loose in Temptation. (laughs) Vehicular abuse of a corpse. Corpse, yeah. It, they do abuse that corpse. That corpse gets a little bit more new to vehicular abuse, I must say. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Okay. You'll be thinking, I just hope that it's a closed casket. <laughs> but, you know, I think they're all guilty of, like, um, probably corpse abuse. Or uh, desecration of a a body. Yeah, Yeah, they're all guilty of something. Yeah. I don't even want to know what you could charge those two guys with when welcome to Bernie. I mean, uh, weekend at Bernie's. Everything. It's like you guys are going to jail for a long time for what I don't know, but you shouldn't have been doing whatever you were doing with that body, and we're just locking you up for public safety. I don't know that I have anything more that's on topic other than just you guys take care of yourself. And if it's hurting when you're writing to a point that you want to stop, you should you should do something stop. else. Stop. That, um, for me, uh, don't I don't torture myself with my writing. I much prefer to torture my readers. And occasionally my character, depending on the characters. 
Yeah, because you don't, you don't want to be in a position where you dread sitting down at your computer or your whatever you write on. Um, if you're dreading it, then it's, it's, her, it's, it's, it's a pain you're not ready for. And you may never be ready for it, and that's fine. There, there is something to be said for finishing a work, for, you know, fine, you know, but I think there's often too much emphasis put on finishing what you started when it comes to writing. Not every idea is ever going to get finished. I, I mean, I don't mean this obnoxiously, but there's a lot of stories on my hard drive that nobody will ever see because I will never finish them. And I don't have a problem with that. And fuck anybody who does from a writing perspective. That's my shit. Right, because that's, that's your shit. Um, the only time that would be a problem is if somebody had paid me in advance for one of those. And, you know, that has a, that's not an issue, trust me. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to any writing I sit down to do that's not under contract, I, there's a lot of it that I just go, okay, well, I'm done. I've explored that idea enough. Now, believe me, I am all up it. I could do a whole separate podcast with people with, with somebody's question was, I can never get my story finished. Um, I could do a whole podcast about how sometimes you have to sit down and woman up and do your fucking edit, do your final draft and edit your story. You just have to do it. Um, I could do a whole podcast about that, but that's a completely different issue of if you want to cross the line and you're struggling with it, that's a different issue to feel like you have to cross the finish line. And not every idea that you start needs an end. Unless it's just driving you crazy, and then, you know, write a very quick end. If you want to get it out of your head and you want to move on, like if you have a hard time not having closure on something, go into tell mode. Give yourself a 1,000 words or 1,500 words to tell what would have happened in the rest of the story and then put it to bed and move on. I mean, I just, I don't, it's hard to tell. Everybody's reasons for not writing or for dreading a project are different. Um, And if it's just... Hating the editing process, that's a different issue than I'm dreading working on this story because it just makes me sad. That's a completely different thing. Um, and if you're struggling with the idea that because you start a story you need to finish it, I, I definitely would want to disabuse you of that notion. But if it's like an OCD thing for you, find a way to finish it without writing the whole story. If it was for April, it had to be at least 30,000 words. So... But you can summarize a 30,000-word story in a, in a page through two to 500 words. So do, if you feel like you need to put some kind of stamp of closure on it, do that and move on. If, you, if closure is not the issue you're struggling with, work on something else. And if you ever feel up to revisiting the idea, you can decide if you want to start with the words you have or start over. But don't make your writing time torture. I mean, I would actually, I would actually ask, like, plead with you, please don't make your writing time torture. Unless you really need to get your editing done, Lady Holder. <laughs> Do your editing. Do your edit. <laughs> I know you do it, but you hate it. 
Editing isn't this my is a... favorite thing either. Next year's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. I don't look forward to beta. I really don't. <sighs> uh, <gasps> Lady Holder's not going to do the challenges next year. What? I appreciate your your work ethic. Did she just? But I have a hundred work in progress. I'm just gonna do what I want. <laughs> Wait, which challenges are you talking about? Because I feel like you just dropped a huge bomb in 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 chat. She's not going to do their rough trade challenges next year. But I already knew that because she said it before. I miss missed that. So, so you're going to do the first quantum bang. Are you going to sign up for the second quantum bang for 2020? Of course she is. <laughs> of course she is. It's not just one thing that needs fixing. I plotted another <laughs> quantum bang story over the weekend. I actually have a whole notebook dedicated to ideas for fix-its that I am um, saving for quantum bang. So. Someone mentioned earlier their favorite, like when they asked a question about favorite nano snacks. During nano, I live on popcorn and coffee. I don't know how this year's gonna go. This is my first nano and on the super. <laughs> uh, this is my first nano on super high carb restriction. So I don't know how that's gonna Ooh. go because I I usually am like a something salty snacky kind of thing that's not like you know makes my fingers dirty. So like sometimes pretzels or um, crackers, all that kind of stuff. I like I can't do that anymore. So this will be different. <laughs> I could have, I mean, I love peanut butter and celery, so I could be do that really happily as a snack, except it's not exactly a clean snack, and I don't like doing things that I have to go wash my hands, eating things I have to go wash my hands before I start typing again. It makes me cranky. Do we have anything else about does anybody have any questions about this, the topic of the podcast, or should we do something else the last half hour? I like peanut butter and I like celery when it's cooked in food, but I don't like the two of them together. That seems wrong. Ugh. Oh, it's great. Especially when you smoosh raisins into it. Oh, gross. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so good. Okay. Have you celery ever is a vegetable? It? Am I five? No, clearly not. There's nothing wrong with that. If, lots of people, there's lots of adults who eat goldfish crackers, and you don't ask them if they're five. I would. Yes, goldfish crackers are nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Antelope, yeah. 
Yeah. But I like some of the same. I mean, that's one of the healthier snacks I had when I was a kid, and I actually liked it, so. Oh, Rogue. Oh. Rogue. Oh, get in the corner. Oh. Oh. Look, Miracle Whip belongs on nothing, number one. But it should never touch peanut butter. No. Now, if you had... I am all for peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. That is really good. Miracle Whip is this weird not mayonnaise that is very popular in the South. It has... It has made its mark in other places as well, but it's gross. It's disgusting. It is it is to mayonnaise what cool it is to whipped cream. That is the best. Yeah, it's basically fake mayo. It's the best comparison I can give you. It's eggs, oil, and some spices whipped together like mayo is, yeah. Well, that really like the most popular sandwich of the year. Like it was like trending in social media and stuff was that sandwich made with pickles, mayonnaise, um, peanut butter, and bacon. Oh, I, I, that was that was too much for me. My mom said it was actually really good. She said she wasn't she was willing to give it a try, and she said it she was found it surprisingly satisfying. But um, yeah, whatever. Yeah, there were whole articles in, in newspapers and stuff about the sandwich, but I, I couldn't I couldn't get there because I already am not prepared to put mayonnaise and peanut butter together, but I sure the fuck am not putting pickles between them. So anything else about booze questions? Anybody? If you have thoughts, since you weren't in the chat room, if you have, if you listen to this podcast and you have follow-up questions, we can do a follow-up. Um, if you need to, if you need to chat with somebody about, you know, getting past this or getting onto your next writing project, not getting past grief. I'm not talking about that, but getting or getting past whatever the block is with your writing. You know, hit me up, girl. We can talk. All right, pickles. I just don't want pickles and. I want pickles by themselves on the plate next to my sandwich. That's the only place a pickle should be is by itself. On the plate. Unless they wrap it in that nice little paper that keeps the juice from getting on the bun. I like the paper, yeah. Or if it comes in a little plastic, um, a little a little um, sandwich bag, like Jason's puts it in a sandwich bag, McAllister's puts it... See? Nothing wrong with that. Fresh. Yeah. I don't know what Vegemite is. Um, I've smelled it. It's got a very yeasty smell. I did not put it in my mouth. I have rules about things smelling nasty going in my mouth. <laughs> there um, are rules. It is that- it, it, it is yeast. It is. It's a less. It's a. It's basically a byproduct of um, the use of brewer's yeast. Well, why would you want to eat a byproduct? Well, I mean, technically, um, molasses is a byproduct. The byproduct of you know sugar production. Oh. So, I just don't know who looks 
in the vat after they had, you know, brewed stuff and went, oh, that black crap looks tasty. Let's put it on a sandwich. Yes. Molasses comes out of a tree. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What comes out? Maple syrup comes out of a tree. Maple syrup comes out of a tree, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Molasses is molasses is um, it comes out of raw sugar and that's been refined for 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 process. I mean, sugar if 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 you would get brown sugar, the reason it's brown is it's the molasses in it. It hasn't. I do enjoy brown sugar. It's had some of the molasses taken out, not all of it, but yeah, molasses is a byproduct of sugar production. I like brown sugar. I can't have a lot of it, obviously. Um, mostly I like it for, for uh, chocolate chip cookies. My grandparents had a maple um, operation, maple syrup operation. We would tap trees. Um, but I don't buy molasses by itself. Oh, I do. I love I love ingredients. I love recipes that have molasses in them. I think that I mean they're very. But when I was a kid, I would eat molasses plain. I thought it was quite tasty. Um, I love ginger cookies, ginger snaps. Yeah, ginger snaps, especially ginger snaps. I'm I'm not really I'm not really fond of soft soft ginger cookies. That's not my favorite thing. I like them. I like them. I like them chewy, but not like that really crumbly soft thing. I like. I like them either chewy or really crispy, like like densely chewy. Like, oh wow, this is giving my my jaw workout kind of chewy. I like a soft cookie. I like a cookie to be. I like when you put it in the microwave a little bit, heat it up, and it's all warm and soft. Depends on the cookie. I like anything with chocolate in it. I like soft for the most well for the most part. But every once in a while, I get a crispy chocolate chip cookie. I'm like nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't seek it out, but I'm not mad at it. I like to stick my Oreos in milk. She's a dunker. It figures. I'm a dunker. Yes. Figures that you dunk. Yep. I'm a double dipper. <laughs> you can double dip your own stuff. I mean, that's like, why would that be a problem? I insist on having my own stuff. I don't know why anybody would want me to eat out of a community dip. <laughs> no, it, it's really, right? It's a really horrifying idea. It's like, wait, you want to do what now? <laughs> no, no, no. There's a spoon. Put some on your plate and walk away. <laughs> How about No. <laughs> Super no. <laughs> so we got a little over 20 minutes. What should we do? Well, what's the most difficult story that you currently have published on your site? The most difficult, difficult to write. Yeah. Uh, let me go look at my, let me go look at my, um. Lady Holler saying her most difficult was Lion, Lion Rampart. Really? Wow, that I would not have pegged that. Sorry, I think, wow, that really surprises me. Um, I 
no, no, no. Hmm. I think my most difficult story to write like mentally would be the subtle body. I had a hard time with subtle body and it's because of the concept in the in the urban fantasy thing because you know I have to just bite it and recognize that I'm a that I'm a romance writer and that's just you know but um the subtle body fucked me up. I had a hard time writing it and finishing it. I think the most the story that uh the story that the story that gets me the most emotionally is if found, I think. But the story that was the hardest to write emotionally was imperfect. Um I had a hard time following through on the plot on that one. Um, and I made some compromises along the way because I was really struggling. Um, I, I just had a really hard time with, with, with the way I portrayed with the way I, I mean, I, I had a hard time with the way I portrayed Gibbs. I had a hard time with, um, what Tony was going through that he felt with the, that, that betrayal that, that he suffered there. Um, that was just, it was very good. For me, that was a very difficult story to write. And it was a challenge story. So, I mean, it was due, right? It was a, it was a bang. That was a big bang story. It didn't say big bang. So it was like, I had to finish it. But if I didn't have that, hadn't had that deadline, I would have gotten to that point where things were at their peak of painful for me from a writing perspective and probably backburnered it. Hmm. I mean, and that's not, it's not a bad thing that I had something that kept me moving on it because I really liked the way the story came out. I actually wasn't convinced that weirdly, I wasn't convinced when I started writing it that I was going to make that pairing work. Um, but the more, I, the further I got in the story, the more the pairing felt really good, and it 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 just it was a very difficult what I put Tony through in that story for me. It, I think it actually of of all the things I put him through in the story, I actually felt like that was one of the meanest things I ever did to him. <laughs> so, like, um, it's just when he found out that Tony was a guy, that he just ghosted him basically. I. I and Tony. I was, was really so mad. Yeah, I was so and, serious. And Tony was so dependent on their friendship, and he he was a little bit in love with Gibbs too. I mean, he was kind of had backburnered that because it wasn't appropriate, but those feelings were still there. And then this person he's known for so long just, like I said, he ghosted him. And I tried to make it believable that Gibbs would do that, that he's working from a place of this bottled-up grief and rage about his wife's death. And any time, I felt like any time Shannon came up in canon, Gibbs was irrational, Shannon or Kelly. Gibbs was not rational in his decision-making when they came up. And basically that's what that did, is the situation poked that rage and that grief that he doesn't really know how to express. And he did what he usually does, which is react badly. And Tony suffered for it. And I just, I don't know. (laughs) What am I doing? 
why am I doing this? Um, but in the, I mean, I really liked the story by the time I was done with it. Um, and so, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing that I had a challenge hanging over my head to give me some motivation to finish it. Because if it was just one of the many works in progress that I noodle on, it would have probably never seen the light of day. Because I just hit this point where I was like, I didn't want to do that to him anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of angst writer I am. He's like, get to the angst part. Like, I don't want to do this to Tony. I don't want to do this to Tony anymore. I have to put the story away. <laughs> it's terrible. Stop hurting my unicorn. And you did it. You did it. Mm-hmm. You hurt your uniform. I did it. But I also made him better. So, And I did want to explore the idea that things don't get magically better. And that even in the Sentinel Guide story, that, you know, that sometimes you need space to heal before you can move on. So... I was just trying to explore some different themes in that, and they were all a little bit different, difficult to explore. So, um, if found if found was paint was, was difficult to write in spots, but in general, the story had a much more um, hopeful tone to it than Imperfect did. Imperfect was just really painful toward, until towards the end. I mean, Derek was like the, the bright light in that story, so. Well, he's a bright light in every story. Look how pretty he is. Isn't he, isn't he just, he is so pretty. <laughs> I, I would have, my first thought, my, cause one of the things that crossed, well, when I looked at my list, I'm like, well, I'll forgive, could be. It, it was painful, but not until the, uh, it didn't hurt the same way. Because I felt like Tony was very in control he was the one steering the ship. He was the one making the decisions. He was the one deciding if he was willing to let someone in. Um, he wasn't just being, you know, hurt. And um, it, it, the only part, it got really difficult at the end. <laughs> I will say writing anything with 9-11 was like, what the fuck did I do that for? Um, but that was a whole different kind of, you know, difficult. I don't know that I have anything that was emotionally difficult for me to write published on my fanfiction site. The final body was intellectually difficult. It, it was it just because <laughs> I wanted to meet the challenge. I wanted to meet it, and I knew I wasn't going to, and it it pissed me off. And um, as far as emotionally taxing work, I have a story that. I started writing that I have the first chapter written and I cried halfway through writing the first chapter and I put it down and I haven't picked it up since. (laughs) I cried the whole time I was writing it. And I was like, nope. (laughs) I'll come back to that later. I haven't. (laughs) I got, when I wrote, when I wrote Restoration, which is I think the only completed Harry Potter work I have on my site, um, I tore myself up repeatedly writing that, and I was writing it for Rough Trade. So it was a little bit like, um, oh, I, would, I wouldn't mind not doing this today. Oh, but it's a challenge, so I guess I'm doing this today. But, there, yeah, there were times in that story when I was like, in the end, it's, I think it's a very I, – I love getting 
Harry into new living circumstances. So it was very satisfying from that perspective. But by the same token, it was, it was there were there were parts of it that were like, why did I do this to myself? Right. There is um, a scene in Dimensional Shift, which is a sneak peek I've got on my site, where the Bane Centaur sacrifices the last of his magic to Harry, who's going to leave that world soon. And then he kind of lays down, and, and Harry um, just just pats him and plays with his hair and, you know, just soothes him while he dies. And I didn't expect it when I paused it. I didn't expect it to hurt. But I cried when I wrote it. And I was like, wow, Bane's an asshole. <laughs> Why am I so upset? <laughs> I picked Bane on purpose. So it wouldn't be emotionally upsetting to me for him to die in that scene. Um, but him having that centaur's magic is important for the plot. So I picked Bane because he was the asshole one, right? And I figured it wouldn't, it, it, yeah, it sucked. <laughs> Just saying. Made me cry. I was like, that's some shit. Yeah, sometimes you just kind of sneak stuff on you. are like, whoa. I mean, I've had several stories where I wound up, like, kind of in tears in the writing, and I'm like, wow, okay. Um, I don't think, even though I would say the most difficult for me to write was imperfect, I don't think I ever got teary in that story, though. Um, which, it, it has all to do with that angst level, right? It's... Angst is not emotionally cathartic for me. It was just hard. <laughs> yeah, I find just killing like, people in my books, I, I, I find mass murder much more cathartic than, than making myself cry. Yeah, word. Or character bashing, or both. You know, just like uh, just snarky conversations are much more um, cathartic and a lot less heartbreaking. Yeah, Rogue. I'm sorry if you're if you're talking about the the whole centaur thing. I apologize. It was not my intention. That, that's why I picked Bane because I thought it wouldn't be painful, but it was. Right. It's not going to bother anybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and several people were like, "Oh my God, you made me cry!" I'm like I didn't mean to. I picked Bane because I thought it wouldn't hurt. It hurt anyway. <laughs> but it re- but really, I think it was about the fact that. Magic was dying on that world, and Bane represented that. And when Bane died, that that world lost the last of its magic. And so it really wasn't so much about Bane as it was about the death of magic on that world. Which is, you know, pretty horrific. Of my unfinished restoration works that people might have seen, I think the hardest for me to write emotionally was subversive. Just because, well, Slytherin Black wasn't all that easy either. But subversive, there's so much ugliness in the background that sometimes it overwhelmed me with the mass murder that the story is the foundational premise for the story. Um, mm-hmm. Duality sometimes the de- that way. Yeah. Sometimes, the, sometimes just dealing with the ram- the 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 horror horribleness of that was um, difficult. Well, and you 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 worked with me on some of my um, emotional meltdown and over um, intuitive. 
and help me figure out how to pull my plot out of, you know, yeah. the dystopian place it was going. <laughs> so, I was like, Jesus. <laughs> is that really like, where you want to go with that? Fuck, and I don't write stuff like this. <laughs> it's not that dystopian is, a, is wrong, going that, going, you know, it's like a Hunger Games type thing, which isn't exactly what would happen, but... It's not that that's wrong to write that. Obviously, it's fine if that's your thing. It's not my thing. I don't actually enjoy writing things like that. So when I feel like the realistic direction for a story is that direction, it 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 was paralyzing. Which is when Kira stepped in and helped me figure out how to how to turn the ship, uh, so to speak, so that I didn't sink with it because. Even so, it's going to have a darker slant than I ever ever intended. Sometimes the ramifications of your world building can can kind of blindside you. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even realize that until you're deep in the writing and you're like, oh, fuck me, look what I did. (laughs) Look at this ugliness. I don't know what to do with it now. And you have well, and the ugliness of address it, or you can ignore it, and and ignoring it becomes disingenuous, and it can be a very frustrating experience for your reader, and they might not even know why they're frustrated with you or why they don't like it. Yeah. And I try not to. If I see a problem, I'm not the type to. I I, I don't want to ignore a problem. I'm more going to try to fix it. Um. But just going, you know, working through that pushed Kara to her limits with that world. And I don't blame her at all. I hit my limit, too. (laughs) We all found our limits in that world building. Well, there was consent issues. Um, It became issues of consent, and I have um, issues with that. And, um, you know, honestly, when you're working as an alpha reader or as a beta reader, it's your responsibility to take care of yourself. And so if um, you need to be able to say to the other person on the other side of the exchange, look, um, this isn't about you. It's about me at this point, and I can't handle what you're writing. And if you've got a good person on the other side of it, they're going to be perfectly okay with that. But if they lose their shit, then that's definitely a relationship you need to back away from real quick. Yeah. Because and I was fine with it. She- I was, oh, yeah. I was totally I mean, because you're not an asshole. <laughs> no. But if you've got, but you just imagine if, if you have somebody on the other side of that writing thing who's, oh, I can't fucking believe you're doing this to me, blah, 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 blah. And I've seen that in fandom. I've seen that. Um, it's, you know, so just don't be that kind of asshole if you're, and, and don't take it personally either. I mean, it, it, it's not a criticism um, of your work if your beta or your alpha can't handle the implications of your world building or if they can't handle the consent issues you've got or they don't want to read rape or they don't want to read murder or they don't want to read child abuse, you know, pay attention and be a good fandom citizen. That shit wasn't in Jilly Sick. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, you no. know, I'm just saying in, in general, general, talking about it. Yeah. But she got to. She knew. Kira knew exactly what it was that was bothering her. It wasn't. It wasn't nebulous. She knew exactly what the thing was that was pushing her buttons, and she communicated that to me, and said that she wouldn't be able to read the story anymore. Um, and I said that was fine. 
So I had no issue with, like, backing off on that. Um, but even at that point, she had suggestions for how um, I could course correct to keep it from going to, you know, because I said, well, based upon where it is here, this is where I see it going. And I don't want to go there, but I don't know how to how to how to how to course correct. And she got to that. She got to the got to the point where she was having a problem. She said, "Okay, I can't I can't keep reading this, but this is how I would recommend that you course correct and how you could keep this from going, you know, sliding into the deep and dark abyss." And um, the suggestions were great. It was very helpful. So I mean, she still she still bailed me out, even though she said I can't read the story anymore. <laughs> but either you know. Even if she even if she needed to have a hard stop and never discuss the story again from that moment, it would have still been fine. Because you know, more important is that she takes care of herself. But if you're in a relationship like that and you're afraid to tell the writer that you you can't handle where they're going, um, that's a real problem. You need to be able to advocate for yourself and. Um, if you can't advocate for yourself, uh, set your boundaries up front. Now, a lot of the people who are participating in the Quantum Bang Beta Alpha are doing little advertisements on our forum saying, okay, I can read this, this, and this. I will not read this, this, and this. You know, and it's very good. That That is excellent health maintenance. It is, it is up front saying, I will not read this, this, and this. Um, and that way, you don't have to worry about it. Um, hitting you in the face later. And um, no matter how long you've been betaing or alpha reading for a writer, if they go somewhere where you're not comfortable, please tell them no. Don't set yourself on fire to keep them warm. It isn't necessary. There are a fuck ton of people who will read their rape fic. You don't gotta. But I, mean, I have people who are, you know, writing and asking, you know, that if they sign up to do like alpha or beta reading or whatever, and somebody like um, wants them to read incest, do they have to? And I was like, that ain't something you don't want to do. If you, if you, and I told one person, I said, flat out, I said, if you say that you don't want to read incest fic and somebody sends you a fic with incest in it, you let me know. Because if you set your boundaries and they violated them, I would like to know that. Word. I'm not down for that. If someone, especially if someone is forthright and upfront and proactive about communicating what their limits are and somebody disregards them, I don't care if that's the author side of the thing or the beta side of the thing. If you're ignoring somebody's boundaries that have been clearly stated to you, I have, I'm going to take issue with that. I'm not interested in that kind of assholery. There's nothing fun about that kind of assholery. <clears throat> We're down to a minute and 41 seconds. And so we're going to end this podcast right here. <laughs> you guys, you guys have a great evening and say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>